and good morning once again. If you're new with us, it's good to see you. We welcome you and let you know that uh, we are currently working our way through John's Gospel here at Calvary on Sunday morning, but we have put that on hold for a few weeks to do a series we've entitled 2020 Vision for the New Year. Now, just for the sake of the new folks, let me uh, say some of the things that we've already talked about, but to kind of bring them up to speed a little bit. This morning, as you stand at the beginning of a new year, I think that pretty much everybody has something they'd like to see changed in their life in the new year, something that they would like to be different. As we have said, the problem is that most people, when they enter a new year, all they do is hope things are going to change. All they do is engage in wishful thinking that things will be different, but they never really do anything tangible to bring about any change. And uh, reminds me of an old song I used to know. Actually, I think it was before my time, but, you know, one of the lines was wishing and hoping and thinking and praying, okay? And a lot of Christians kind of, that, that becomes their theme song for the new year. I'm wishing, I'm hoping, I'm thinking, I'm praying that things will be different and change will be, you know, reality. But let me add to that. Uh, that's all great, but you have to be doing and working and planning and trying if uh, you're going to see any real change this year. God has a part. You can't do God's part. His part is to give you the grace and the power to change. Uh, but you have a part. I have a part. and He won't do our part. He won't force us to want to change. So um, as we have uh, talked about in this series, uh, look, I understand that change is very difficult. It's easier to talk about change than it is to actually uh, work to accomplish it. But by God's grace and power, all things are possible. However, as we have been saying in this series, change only becomes a reality when we get serious about it and uh, set our sight firmly upon it. To do that, we must see this year, and really every year, af uh, after it, uh, through the lens of God's Word. All right, And this has been kind of a theme throughout this entire series. It's only when we view the new year and really life itself through the lens, lens of God's word that our lives come into focus and make sense, which is which then allows us to take aim at change. A lot of times we don't even really know what we need to change. We know things aren't really right. We don't. We pray about it, and uh, you know. And God begins to show us as we get into the word. God begins to show us the things that uh, are not right, things that need to change. And, uh, and after we see clearly through the Spirit's leading what we need to work on, we now begin to take aim at that change and by God's grace uh, allow Him to work in us and then through us to bring about that change. Now, as we said uh, you know, a few weeks ago, okay, you know, you say, well, okay, view this year through the lens of God's Word. Uh, the Bible's a big book. Uh, where do I start? Okay, where do I, where do I start? Well, you got to start somewhere. And uh, we said the best place to start viewing life through the lens of God's Word is through the greatest commandment in the Word of God. We know it's the greatest because the Lord Jesus Christ said it was the greatest out of Mark 12, verse 30, that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. This, guys, becomes the lens then that we must view our lives through, not just this new year, but every year. The number one pursuit, though, of this new year. Uh, you know, we want to hold everything we, we do say up to the Word of God. Uh, you know, if I say this, um, maybe it's gossip, if I, but if I say this, am I proving I really love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? If I, you know, do this, am I really proving that, uh, you know, this doesn't seem like it would be communicating to people that I'm really loving God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? So, you know, if we make this the goal to hold everything up, to, you know, God's Word. It becomes the lens, but then as we hold everything up that we're wanting to do, planning on doing, everything like, is it communicating to people that, you know, we really love God? And I believe if we make this our goal and pursue it by God's grace and through His strength, we'll see change, the change we desire come about this year. So we've already looked at the first two. We won't really uh, go back and review them too much, but uh, the first part of the greatest commandment, uh, you know, in the word is that we are to love God with all our heart, all our heart. The heart is the seat of the will. 
And therefore, to love God with all your heart means that you have to purpose in your heart that um, certain things. You've got to purpose certain things in your heart. In other words, you need to will or desire them. Now, we talked about four of those things. You can go online and listen to the first part of this series and see what those are. But uh, heart seat of the will, I have to purpose. I have to will to do certain things if I'm going to love God this way. Uh, number two, that we are to love God with all our soul. The soul is the seat of the emotions. So when we talk about loving God with all our soul, we're talking about having a passion for God. We talked about this last week. Uh, too many Christians and churches offer up to the Lord, uh, you know, uh, you know, works, a service. They're like a well-oiled machine. Um, but as Jesus said to the church of Ephesus in, in Revelation 2, he doesn't want well-oiled machines cranking out emotionless service. He wants us to be in love with Him. He wants there to be passion. Therefore, everything we do when we're in love with Jesus, He loves to see it because it's an expression of that love. But just to do the works, just to go through the motions of service without having a heart that is in love with Him. All Christians love the Lord. We're talking about being in love with Jesus. Oh, I can't say I'm there. Great. Thank God for your honesty. This is a time now when you begin to ask the Lord, Lord, I need your grace to fall in love with you. All right. And to have that passion for you. Love you with all my soul. This morning, then it brings us to the next element of this greatest command. That is to love God with all our mind. To love the Lord our God with all our mind. The mind is the seat of reason. The seat of reason. When God said in Isaiah 1 verse 18, Come, let us reason together. He was appealing to the mind. When Jesus gave us the greatest commandment in Mark 12 30, He was quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 5. However, if you compare Deuteronomy 6 5 with Mark 12 30, you will immediately notice that Jesus added one more thing to the list. In Mark 12, 30, he said that we are to the greatest... And he can do that, by the way, because he is the Word, all right? He's the God of the Word, all right? So if he wants to add something, he's completely, you know, in his purview to do that, all right? But quoting out of Deuteronomy 6, 5, he adds something. Uh, you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. He adds with all your mind, and with all your strength. Now, I perused the commentators to see what they felt was the reason that Jesus did that. They were kind of quiet about it. And so let me give you my two cents. Take it for what you will. Uh, I'm not saying that loving the mind, uh, loving God with all our mind is any more important in the New Testament than it was in the Old, but for some reason the Lord Jesus felt He wanted to add that and I know he did it in part because loving God with all our mind is, is essential if we're going to uh, live a life that honors God and pleases him. Look, as we have said in previous studies, the mind is ground zero for spiritual warfare. A lot of Christians don't realize that. The mind is ground zero for spiritual warfare. The main battlefield in our war with the devil where most spiritual warfare is fought. Spiritual warfare is primarily a battle for control of our thinking. Because Satan knows if he can control the way we think, he can control the way we live. As the Bible says in Proverbs 23, verse 7, as a man thinks in his heart, well, we think in our mind. It eventually gets into the heart, but the idea is, as a man thinks in his mind, so is he. Proverbs 4:23. And that's why God commands us in Proverbs 4.23, Above all else, guard what enters your mind, for everything you do flows from it. A pretty important subject. Look, there are only two information streams that flow through this world and from which all ideologies and belief systems have descended. They both got their start in the Garden of Eden. One was the truth of God, His Word. And the other was the lies of the devil, sometimes called the wisdom of this world. The wisdom of this world, so-called, is nothing more than Satan's lies in disguise. James said it in James 3.15, The wisdom of the world does not descend from above, 
but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. And really what it is is trying to explain life apart from God. That's why it's so demonic, earthly, all right? It's trying to, you know, evolution or uh, any other uh, belief system that uh, presents a false God or a narrative where there is no God, everything came from nothing all by itself, that's pretty wise. They look at us and laugh because we believe in the beginning, an all-powerful, all-intelligent being created all things, but they believe that everything came from nothing all by itself, and we're supposed to bow to that wisdom. That's ridiculous, all right? But folks, this is, whether you realize it or not, what spiritual warfare is really all about. It's a battle for which information stream, God's truth or Satan's lies, is going to be allowed to enter our minds and control our lives. If you allow the Word of God to control your thinking and ultimately your living, you're going to be victorious over the devil. Now, in our study in 1 John, which we will finish Wednesday night, we studied this back in chapter 2, verse 14, where John said, I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. The word of God, when studied, of course, read, studied, and then put into practice. And I can't underscore that last part enough because in Hebrews 5, verses 12 to 14, the writer said that the reason a lot of Christians are still very young in their faith, babes in Christ, who still need to be taught the basic principles of their faith is because they have never taken what they've learned and taken it out into the world where they live and apply it. Never have applied it. They haven't exercised their senses through use of the word to discern good and evil is how he put it. It's one thing to study the word. It's another thing to apply the word. And we need to do both. All right. So, when God's word is studied and applied in a believer's life, it will cause them to grow, and the result will be they will, they will overcome or be victorious over the devil. Look, the goal of Christianity is that we grow into strong men or women of God. I mean, really, I mean, you, know, you know, when we are born again, we're babes in Christ. And that's fine for a while because that's, you know, normal for when a baby's born. They're going to be needing extra attention and after can't feed themselves yet or do other things by themselves. And so they need their parent or parents to, you know, help them along until they can grow to the point where they can start eating on their own and, and doing other, being, being, you know, eventually independent, self-sufficient adults. There are, when a child is born, it's okay. It's cute when they're in the crib and they're, you know, and they're just being babies. If, you know, 10 years passes, and they're still in the crib because there's some kind of a defect, some kind of mental impairment. Uh, we don't go into the room and think that's cute. It's tragedy. And God's the same way with with his kids who are born again. Uh, for a while there, I mean, he realizes they're going to need some time to grow before he can expect. I mean, God doesn't expect of his, we'll say, you know, okay, us parents, we don't expect from our uh, two-year-olds what we expect from our 15-year-olds. With age, growth comes responsibility. But there are Christians who, once they're born again, they never grow. That's their own fault. They don't take the word seriously. They may come to church sporadically, but when they hear the word, it goes in one ear and out the other. They really don't have any, they think that just by hearing the word, that's all they need to do. They don't forget that it's not just hearing the word, it's doing the word that God is looking at, that, uh, that allows the growth to occur. And so you have Christians who have been Christians for 20, 30 years, and, and really they, they still need to be taught some of the basic, uh, you know, foundational doctrines of their faith. That's a tragedy. It's not, uh, you know, I've been a Christian for 30 years. No, you haven't. You've been a Christian for one year 30 times over. But you haven't grown. But the whole goal of Christianity is to grow into strong men and women of God. How do we do that? By knowing the Word, studying the Word, feeding on the Word. And then as we are strong from being fed on the Word, then we can use that knowledge to defeat the wicked one. But listen, Satan is a formidable enemy. 
And he has a powerful weapon that he uses on us to stop our growth in Christ. A weapon that targets our sinful, fallen nature in an attempt to cause us to grow opposite of godly, which is what? Worldly. Worldly. And what is that weapon? It's temptation. Temptation is Satan's attempt to get us to love the world, ultimately to love ourselves, more than we love God. And guys, the mind is the target, the bullseye that he's aiming for. That's why the New Testament has so much to say about us as Christians guarding and controlling our minds as believers. I won't have you turn to these. I'll just have you write down the references. Uh, These are just a few out of dozens we could look at. I just want you to see how important the mind is uh, in the scope of the New Testament and what it uh, teaches about the mind. But Colossians 3.2, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Again, Mark 12.30, love the Lord your God with all your mind. Philippians 2.5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, verse 5. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their mind set on what that nature desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. You see how important what you set your mind on is in the uh, how you live for the Lord. Again, guys, the mind is ground zero in our battle with the devil, a battle for control of our thinking, ultimately for our heart, as to who or what we are going to love more, God or the world. Look, very simply, and Satan knows this only too well, but godly Christians defeat the enemy, and worldly Christians are defeated by the enemy. And so Satan targets our flesh through temptation, in an effort to tear our heart away from the Lord Jesus, who is our bridegroom, to get us to embrace through spiritual adultery another lover, and that is the world. And what that does is when Christians embrace the world and love the world, they remain in a stunted state of spiritual development. In other words, they remain carnal and therefore defeated. Look, I've said it before, let me say it again. I am a firm believer that once a person truly accepts Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they are saved forever. They are saved for, The devil knows that. He can't get you to lose your salvation. So the next best thing he does, if he can't get you to spend eternity in hell, he will then try to neutralize your effectiveness for the Lord by, you know, through temptation, targeting your mind, getting you to fall in love with the things of the world more than you love the Lord, so that even though you're saved, you remain carnal, defeated, ineffective. Therefore, you're no threat to his kingdom. He's lost you, but you're no threat to his kingdom and bringing anybody else to Jesus. And that's why John the Apostle, in fact, all the other writers of the New Testament warned us not to fall for this. Not to fall in love with the world, but to stay in love with the Lord. In our study in 1 John, we studied 1 John 2, verses 15 and 16, where John said, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, John might be talking about people who go to church, Christian church, who are not saved, as evidenced by they love the world, okay? But I do think he could have in mind some genuine Christians. And if he does, what he's saying is, look, if you're loving the world and, you know, wherever your heart is, your treasure is there, your heart's going to be also. So, you know, I love God, people say. Okay, well, can you prove it uh, by what is occupying your time? Uh, what gets you up in the morning? What drives you through your day? If it's God, that's going to be reflected in what's important, right? And so on and so forth. Right, uh, But by saying that, if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you, what John is, could be saying is uh, that at least at that time, uh, the love of God is not controlling you. It's not uppermost in your heart. Uh, not that you don't love God at all and, be, and you're unsaved. It just means that you're not letting that love be dominant. 
Uh, when Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, this is the first commandment. The Greek is the supreme, greatest commandment. I mean, the Lord doesn't want to be, you know, he doesn't want our love if he's down the list, you know, three or four slots. Or even number two. He wants to be our first love. We talked about that a little bit last week as well. Um, very important, though, guys, that we understand this, that really spiritual warfare, it, you know, let me just say this. Satan is the master of mind manipulation. Satan is the master of mind manipulation, which he definitely uses on unbelievers all the time. But he will also use on Christians. Granted, many of them are are uh, immature and or ignorant. They don't really maybe go to a teaching church or they don't take it upon themselves to do any study in the Bible. They pick it up and bring it to church and maybe the pastor reads a verse or two and then launches out into some message that, whatever, okay? Um, so a lot of the churchgoers are, are either you know ignorant or immature, and so he's able to easily manipulate their minds. But uh, remember what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 11, talking about our enemy, the devil, and how we need to understand our enemy. We can't be ignorant of how he, uh, uh, he attacks and, and what his methods are. He said, that, lest Satan take advantage of us. For we are not ignorant of his devices, the Greek is schemes, or it could be mind games. Again, the devil is always targeting our mind. Now, with unbelievers, the Bible says that in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, that Satan has blinded the minds of those who do not believe, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ should shine on them. Now, this doesn't mean that these folks are helpless victims. The only reason Satan has been able to blind their minds is because, as Jesus said in John 3, they've allowed it because they love darkness rather than light. Now, we were all there at one time. So let's not be too hard on them. We just keep praying for them, all right? Because we were in darkness, and we loved it, and we pursued it, and we lived that life before we knew, knew Christ. The devil had blinded our minds as well. Let's not get down on those who are blinded by the devil. Let's pray for them. They're not our enemies, as Paul said. They've been taken captive by the devil to do his will. Let's be patient. Let's love them. Let's gently try to, to share with them the word of God, the light that can begin to pierce that darkness and bring them to Jesus. But here's what Paul said. Just give you three from Paul. Obviously, Peter, John, they all mentioned it. But uh, Paul is uh, talking about this, how that the devil has blinded the minds of those who don't believe, how they are in darkness, but that darkness was, is self-inflicted in many ways. They don't want the light many times. In Romans 1.28, Paul talking about unbelievers who have heard the truth, but they did not, did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Therefore, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. In other words, their mind was debased and therefore craved certain things, and they gave into it. They pursued those things, the things of darkness. Romans 8, verse 7, because the carnal mind, now in Romans 8, he's talking, when he says carnal and spiritual, he's talking about unbelievers, carnal. So this is a reference to unbelievers. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. The, the, the carnal mind, unbeliever's mind, uh, is not subject to God's word. They don't want God's word. I mean, before I got saved, I mean, I gave the Bible lip service. I really didn't read it and want to do all that it said. No, I was an unbeliever. I had a carnal mind. It was an enmity against God, but God graciously began to work on my life and my heart, began to bring people across my path that began to share the truth. And slowly the darkness was dispelled by God's light until finally I was able to see that the truth of God is, this is true, the word of God, the gospel, and I accepted Christ. But um, notice the mind, the mind, the mind. All the way through the New Testament, we see an emphasis on the mind with regard to our victory over the devil with regard to maturity, with regard... It's just amazing, and I want you to see it, okay? Colossians 1.21. 
talking now about people who were once blind, but now are believers, and you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. How? By working in us, listen, a change of mind, right? That's what salvation begins with, a change of mind. In Acts chapter 17, verse 30, Paul is talking to a group of unbelievers. He's giving them the gospel, and he's not condemning them for their paganism. He says, you know, you know in times past, uh, this ignorance God overlooked. But now since Christ has come, he commands all men everywhere to repent. The Bible says that salvation requires a person to first of all repent. The Greek word for repent or repentance is metanoia, which literally means to have a change of mind. Now, once a person has this change of mind and repents and receives Jesus as their Lord and Savior, then as a Christian, I mean day one and every day after that, here is now what God commands them, us. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world's way of thinking any longer, but now be transformed by the renewing of your mind. For all the years before we accepted Christ, the devil had brainwashed us. We didn't realize it. But he's the God of this world. He owns, he owns all the most of the print media. And the uh, uh, and the, what's on the radio and television and movies. I mean, the music industry, pretty much, well, not all of it, thank God, but uh, most of it is controlled by the devil. And he used it to pump incessantly through the things we watched, we read, we listened to incessantly into our brains an anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-Bible agenda. And it brainwashed us to think a certain way. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So Satan brainwashed us to think a certain way. And that was his way, right? That was his way. But now we're saved. And so we immediately have to unbrainwash ourselves. And how do you do that? You get into the Word of God. And you not don't just you know read a verse here or there. You open it and you read it verse by verse, chapter by chapter. There are Christians, here's how they read the Bible. Open it up, read a couple verses out of this book. Uh, close it next day, open it up, and they, oh, it's over here in this part of the, I'll read a few verses here. How are you ever going to get any kind of continuity, consistency? How are you ever going to be able to have a strong foundation upon which to build your Christian life if that's your approach to God's Word, which is the foundation? So we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind that, that uh, Paul said that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We have to unbrainwash our minds. This transformation by the renewing of your mind is only going to take place if you continually fill your mind with the Word of God, His truth. Remember in our study in John, we saw in chapter 8 how that Jesus said to some of His disciples, if you abide... In my word, the Greek word meno, it means to continue. If you abide, continue in my word, you are my disciples indeed. The Greek is truly my disciples. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. That's not just the gospel saving us. It's also something that every day we need to walk in, God's truth. It keeps us free from error, from sin. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, How can a young man, young woman, cleanse their way? By taking heed according to your word. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And David, who wrote that, you know, he didn't just read the Bible once in a while. He said, I, I wake up in the middle of the night and I just start meditating on the word. He constantly filled his heart with God's truth. Now listen, if you fill your mind with God's word, a wonderful thing begins to happen. You begin to think like God thinks. And that means you stop thinking like the world thinks. Look, God's word teaches us that godly living always flows from godly thinking. Do you realize that? 
Godly living always flows from godly thinking. When we studied, um, well, we, we studied Paul's epistles as we move our way through the New Testament, but when we studied Paul's epistles, especially something like Ephesians, it was Paul's pattern to put doctrine first and then duty, okay? So the first three chapters of Ephesians, he lays out doctrine, what you are in Christ. Next three chapters, duty, what you do for Christ or how you live for Christ. Because Paul knew that duty always flows from doctrine. Christian living always flows from Christian learning. It's ridiculous to say to a Christian day one, now live the Christian life. What, what is it? I don't even know. I mean, I think I know. Some, what do I do? They have to be taught. All right. And as they're taught and they want to apply it, they will grow. But God's word teaches us that godly living always flows from godly thinking, which is only possible, listen, by the renewing of your mind through the word of God. And I've said this before. Let me say it again. I'm absolutely convinced that the reason so many Christians are living worldly lives is because they're still thinking worldly thoughts. Their minds are still conformed to this world's way of thinking, and they have not allowed them to be transformed by the renewing that comes from God's word, which means, listen, they are not loving God with all their mind. That doesn't necessarily mean that they aren't reading the Bible or even going to Bible study, although I kind of doubt it. If a person's that carnal, I doubt if they're in the Word regularly or they're coming to Bible study. But if they are, it simply means that they're not taking seriously or they're not um, serious about putting into practice what they're learning. Again, as James says, you know, don't just hear the Word of God. Come to church and listen. You're not just to be hearers of the Word, but doers of the Word. If not, you're only deceiving yourself. Some people think because they come to church and hear a sermon, that's all they need. That's all, God's happy with that. But then they don't go out and try to apply any of it into their life. They have no really desire to live what they've learned. They're just appeasing God by coming to church and you know going through the motions here. It's not how you grow. It's not what God wants. I mean, if you come to church and hear God's word, but it goes in one ear and out the other without any real desire to obey it, you know, although the word of God claims to be living and powerful, and it is, it has transformed many a life over the centuries. Although it's living and par powerful, it will be rendered lifeless and powerless in your life to bring about change. Guys, once again, spiritual warfare is a battle for which, excuse me, spiritual warfare is a battle for which information stream, God's word, God's truth, or Satan's lies, is going to be allowed, listen, to enter the mind, dominate your thinking, and control your living. That really is what it's all about. Think of it this way. That your body is like a machine, controlled by a computer. Your brain, which is physical, is the hard drive, but the mind, which is non-physical, is the software, or in other words, the information that gets programmed into your brain. There's an old saying with regard to how a computer functions, and that is garbage in, garbage out. Your mind, again, a lot of people just don't really think about it. Okay, no pun intended, but your mind is being accessed actually bombarded constantly with information as you come in contact with the world throughout the day. And who is the God of this world? The devil. Who has orchestrated everything about this world to appeal to your flesh, your eyes, your you know, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. So everyday raw data enters our minds through our five senses, primarily through our eyes and ears in the form of written words, images, verbal messages, where it is then processed. The mind is like the processing center for our being. Most of it is useless information. Think about all the stuff that, you know, you see, uh, you hear throughout the course of a day, just for a second, okay? A lot of it's useless information, advertisements that you saw, 
uh, you know, on TV or on the side of a bus or something, you know, uh, or read in some magazine, you know, what color socks you wore to work or what you had for breakfast, you know, or uh, the stupid joke that your, uh, you know, office buddy told, you know, all that's useless information, right? So what do you do with it? It gets discarded into your mental trash bin, the same way you would delete junk mail out of the inbox of your email account. You just don't think it, just delete it, right? Some of this information is somewhat valuable. It gets filed away in what I'll call our mental file cabinet for later reference. Oh, yeah, there's a sale at Walmart for dog food. I got to get over and get some dog food, you know? Uh, you know, oh, yeah, that reminds me, I uh, have to get the oil changed in the car next week, so I got to remember that, right? Uh, or, you know, uh, next week is my turn to drive the neighborhood kids to soccer practice, okay? So I got to remember to do that. So this information, you know, there's a lot of things, the mundane things that we, uh, you know, we come across or we, uh, we have to remember to do that we don't just discard. We have to file it because we're going to need it, uh, you know, in a few days or whatever. Now, a small portion of this information is very important to us and uh, therefore gets internalized. In other words, it becomes part of our heart, which is really the seat of our core values, our convictions. I mean, these are things that really matter to you. All right. Uh, they would include uh, information concerning maybe your family, you know, a family function coming up or something to do with your business, uh, which occupies a big chunk of our lives. Right. Or maybe a philosophy or ideology you're committed to. There are folks that are very committed to hold this whole global warming thing. So they're you know really interested in all the environmental things. All right. There are some that are very much animal lovers, and so uh, they try their best to do what they can to maybe help uh, animals and to be adopted and so on, all right? Um, or some other cause of concern that, you know, you're committed to. As a Christian, when you go to a Bible study and hear the Word of God taught, you immediately internalize that teaching because it's part of your core values, since you've been saved, these are the values that you have now built your life upon. Of course, they're important to you. Unless, as Jesus said in, John, in Matthew 7, you're building your life on sand, which means you're hearing the word with no desire to really obey it. So therefore, probably you don't internalize much truth from God's word. It kind of goes in one ear and out the other. I mean, but we have an expression, though, we're taking it to heart is what I'm talking about. But look, guys, every day our minds get flooded with many megabytes of raw data of all different kinds that it has to sort through and process. Loving God with all your mind involves in part guarding what gets in. Guarding what gets in in the first place, then what is allowed to stay, and ultimately what gets deleted from your mind. Now, let me use a, a computer uh, connecting to the Internet. Now, there are some folks that believe computers are evil and the Internet is evil, right, and uh, so on. Uh, let me just say this to you. Computers are not evil. The Internet is not evil. They're both neutral. It's like money. Money is not evil, per se. Uh, the love of money is evil. That's uh, what Paul said to Timothy. Uh, but money is neutral. It's how you use it that determines if it's going to be you know, good or evil, used for good or evil, all right? Uh, the same is true with a computer connecting to the Internet. Think of a computer as the vehicle that drives you to the Internet. Think of the Internet as like a big city like Chicago. Now, we live in a, Chicago's a beautiful city. I mean, on a summer day to go take the family down to the lake, to the lake, short drive and walk around or to one of the beautiful parks in Chicago, Millennium Park and others, or one of the world-class museums. Uh, we have in the city of Chicago. Uh, wonderful family outings to take your family to these parts of the city and just enjoy the beauty and the culture and so on. But there are other parts of the city that we don't want to go to, not us or especially take our families to. These are seedy parts of the city where there's a lot of drug sales going on, prostitution, a lot of violence and gang stuff. Those things, as sad as they are, don't negate the the, all the beauty of the city. You just need to be wise in knowing if you're going to go to the city where you hang out and where you stay away from. The same is true with the Internet. The Internet can be a great blessing 
uh, because just the axis we have the information. So you stay in the good parts of town, but stay away from what is bad, what is destructive, which there are certainly a lot of sites on the internet that can cause trouble, can pervert your thinking, and so on. Um, but let me just say this to you. Most of what gets into your computer in the way of junk mail, now some of it is completely innocent because you're just, you know, you, uh, you open a, an email that looks very innocent and they, you know, click on this for some, for this or that, and you click on it and now you've downloaded uh, a virus into your computer, okay? You know, sometimes though, uh, maybe you went to a place on the web that was not very edifying and you went there and, um, and uh, you know, uh, that has kind of, uh, uh, you know, uh, opened the door. And now all of a sudden you're getting, you know, a lot of uh, uh, emails for, you know, uh, Viagra or some other kind of borderline pornographic services that keep now popping up in your computer. Let me just say this. When I got my first computer, I would not even go online until I found a service, a company that would filter out all that stuff. I never get any of that stuff, okay? Because we, I, I don't want to be connected to the Internet if I don't have a company filtering what, you know, tries to get in. Because sometimes, again, it could be very innocent. And, uh, you know, I, was, uh, I heard one time that uh, a child was doing a report on the Capitol, United States Capitol. And they said, uh, typing in uh, capital.org or whitehouse.org, they typed in whitehouse or capital.com. Took them immediately to a pornographic website. Because you have very evil people who are trying to ensnare kids early in life, okay? But um, much of the junk that, you know, populates an email account is because you or we'll say somebody at work on a company network visited a uh, sleazy website, made contact with it, and once your com computer connects to one of these sites, the unscrupulous people that own and operate that site have designed it to keep, listen, a channel to your computer open. They download a, a program that keeps it connected to what, you know, to them, so that long after you have logged off, they can still flood your computer with their garbage in the form of pornographic pop-up ads and emails. Now, the best way to guard what enters your computer is to make sure that you don't go where you shouldn't go on the net at all, just like you visit a big city. But listen, no matter how careful you are, there are going to be times when some of the junk of the world now, talking about our lives, gets in. When that happens, you have to go through and manually, listen, manually delete the information based on what you think is valuable, and what you consider to be worthless or even harmful. When it comes to loving God with all your mind, realize that Satan is the God of this world, again, has designed this world to appeal to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And he wants to flood your mind with images and messages that will destroy your relationship with God by utilizing those three avenues of attack. If you stay away from the more obvious ways he'll try to pollute your mind internet pornography graphic videos movie channels and so on then most of the dangerous drunk never gets into your mind in the first place but if you expose yourself to these things and i'm talking about not where you're just on the computer and something pops up and you quickly oh delete it i'm not talking about that i'm talking if you allow the devil to tempt you to go to certain things on the web, where you're looking at things that you know are ungodly. What you're doing is, at that moment, you're loving the flesh more. You're, you're loving the flesh with all your mind more than you're loving God with all your mind. And guys, I'm not just talking about internet pornography. What about Facebook? Now, I believe Facebook is like going to the big city, okay? I believe there's a lot of benefits from Facebook. I'm not saying, condemning going on Facebook altogether. I mean, there's a lot of benefits from being on Facebook. You can connect with family and stay in, uh, in touch with close friends. But then, 
The devil can tempt you to maybe see what that old girlfriend's doing. Can I connect with her? Or the old boyfriend you used to know? And how many marriages have been brought down because people began to use what could be beneficial and a blessing in ways that the devil was able to use it as a giant curse? But when you feed your mind on this stuff, you, you download it into your mind, okay? Where it acts like a, a computer virus and pollutes and corrupts what was once, listen, a pure mind for God. You know, we know about computer viruses that they often go undetected at first, right? I mean, you know, you don't realize you've, you've been infected. Computer viruses, you know, often, you know, you don't even realize you've been uh, infected. And what they do is they start working quietly behind the scenes, uh, you know, in the background, corrupting your hard drive, unbeknownst to you. Although after a while, things don't begin to work right, right? Your computer is acting kind of funny. It's not shutting down right away. It's not starting right away. Uh, you can't access certain files and things. And then one day, it crashes. It crashes. Possibly for good. Some of these programs are pretty powerful. They're designed to completely destroy your system. Now, we're almost done. Just bear with me just a little while longer. The same is true when we're talking about our minds. When we talk about ungodly images entering our minds, or when we're on internet chat rooms and get involved in some romantic relationship, or people that access uh, information on web pages that are just flat out demonic, they download this stuff into their minds. And these things work quietly in their lives by slowly corrupting their minds, their values, their convictions, and their character. Listen, long after the, they log off the internet or close the magazine. Many people don't realize the extent of the corruption until one day their life crashes, which means their marriage is destroyed, their ministry, their re reputation is wiped out, and ultimately their relationship with God is destroyed, or at least greatly hindered. Uh, this week, um, as I peruse the websites I, I go to to find news. One of the sites mentioned that uh, one of the Duggar children who was married, him and his wife had a baby. Okay. Remember the show, the Duggar family? Uh, I think it was 19 and counting on cable. All right. They were a Christian family and they were very prolific. And, and, uh, but I've watched the show a couple of times and I really liked the family. I thought they were real solid believers and and they you know, loved kids, and they had a lot of kids. And well, their kids grew up and are now having kids. So one of their sons, John David, and his wife, Abby, just had a brand new baby. So that was on the a news service, which is wonderful. But it got me to thinking about another brother, Josh. Now, Josh was raised in a Christian home, went to church all of his life. I don't know his heart. I can't tell he's a believer in truth. But I do know that he was raised in church, went to Sunday school all his life, but when he became an adult, he got involved in pornography. And this corrupted his thinking. He fed, him, he fed on it. It got so corrupting to him that he eventually molested five girls, uh, had his name on uh, a website called uh, Ashley Madison, which is a website married people go to to find people to have an affair with, Ashley Madison. Amazing. And the last story I heard about Josh was that he had contacted a, um, a, a porn star, one that he had followed and really liked, and uh, he had given her a large sum of money to have sex with him. Look, we are not immune as believers. Just because we are Christians and because we've been raised in church and we know the Bible with our heads doesn't mean that automatically protects us from the attacks of the devil. If we are open to the devil's temptation, he will sow into our minds all kinds of things that will eventually corrupt us, bring us. I don't know where Josh is today. 
if the Lord leads you, lift him up in prayer. I don't know if his wife left him over this whole thing. I hope she didn't. That would be amazing if she didn't and stuck by him to help him. Look, we live in a fallen world. A world that you have to come in contact with on a daily basis. There's just no way around it unless you want to be a monk somewhere. And that doesn't work either because you bring the fallen nature into the monastery with you. So that's, that's not an answer. But look, some junk is bound to get in. No matter how hard you try and how lightly you come in contact with the world, uh, just like when you use the Internet, some junk gets in. And when that happens, you need, you need to subject this mental junk mail the Bible calls temptation, you need to filter it through Philippians 4.8, which is finally, Paul said, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. What is Paul saying? The best defense against the devil's mind games and temptation is to have a strong offense. If you fill your mind constantly with the word of God and all things that are good and holy and pure and praiseworthy, if you meditate on these things, constantly filling your mind with the things of God, the devil can't get in there with his garbage and polluted junk. Guys, we are living at a time of great deception. Because Satan, the God of this world, is in control of most of the information that flows through this fallen world system. And uh, the mind becomes the first line of defense against spiritual warfare, against ideologies, philosophies like the Playboy philosophy and all the other warped philosophies like it. Um, our mind and what we do with it, if we're going to love God or love the world with our minds, well... It's going to keep, if we love God with all our minds, it's going to keep the devil from getting in there and sowing stuff that will bring us down. And not just us, often bring down our families. Um, nobody really sins alone. They, it tends to have a ripple effect and touch a lot of other people. Guys, we're done, but just to say, the only virus protection we have against the devil's, you know, lies and things, is that we must love God more, that we love self, that we love sin, and we must use the Word of God to filter out all of the devil's junk. I just would ask you to pray in this new year that you purpose in your heart to love God with all your mind and by God's grace to keep the poison out and let what's praiseworthy in. Because if your mind is dominated with God and His Word, you will have change this year. It will be awesome change. So may God give us grace to do that. And next week we'll finish up this little series. So, uh, Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you, Lord, that you've redeemed us out of darkness into your marvelous light. We know the battle is not over. The devil continues to attack. And he tries to attack, Lord, our minds. Because if he can get us to love the world more than you, he can get us to live carnal lives, defeated lives, and we will no longer be a threat to his kingdom. So, Lord, we thank you that, uh, well, we thank you for a new year. And we just pray, Lord, that you would uh, give us grace to purpose in our hearts to love you more, to love you with our minds more than we love anything else. So, Father, we thank you. We ask you to continue blessing these studies in your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.